It's one thing to experience evil from people who are on the outside of the church family. It's another thing to experience injustice or a personal attack from people who claim to know Jesus. And we have seen how that has hurt people. It has created disillusionment and oftentimes um, leads to a departure from God's family and God's people. Now, I don't know what the statistic is, but just in my conversations with people who have walked away from the Lord and walked away from the church, oftentimes it goes back to the fact that they were hurt by somebody in the church. Sometimes it's a, a, a congregant, sometimes it's a pastor, and that leads to disillusionment, and then they, they depart. Now, let me just say for the record, for those of you who might be new to the church, this church thing, that if you are a part of the church for any length of time, you will get hurt. You will get hurt by perhaps a pastor or someone else who claims the name of Jesus. That's simply the way it is. It is inevitable. Um, Jesus himself said that in the church there will be wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, and wolves bite. Um, reminds me of a statement uh, made popular, it wasn't made popular, actually it was coined by St. Augustine in the 4th century when he said that there are many sheep without and many wolves within. And he was talking about the church. There's a lot of sheep out there that God is going to draw into the fold, and then inside the church there are a lot of wolves too. Um, so if you're in the church, and that's true of every church, not just Parkway, we have wolves here. I don't know exactly who they are, but they bite, and they will bite. And if you don't get bitten by a wolf, you might be bitten by a disgruntled sheep who had a bad day. So just to, just to set your expectations, people do get hurt in the church. The question is, how do we deal with that? Because really, this psalm um, and the evil that David is speaking of here oftentimes um, was committed by people in his Old Testament church. The people he was most assaulted by oftentimes were family members or kinsmen or kings um, or his own son. So he was attacked from within. How do you respond when the evildoer or wrongdoer is in your own church family? If disillusionment and departure is not the way to go, then how do we, how do we deal with it? And of course, that's the, that's the, the question that this psalm deals with. And as um, I talked about last week, or should I say as David talks about last week, basically, first three verses give us two directions as to how to deal with personal injury and injustice and when you're hurt and offended by somebody. There's a wrong way and a right way. I told you to imagine a signpost. And the wrong way is not to fret, get angry, or venture wrath. That is the wrong way to go. He says it three different times, verse 1, verse 7, and verse 8. Fret not yourselves, fret not yourselves. Um, refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. In other words, it just ends in devastation to you and to other people. So when you sense that response in your heart, nip it in the bud, and decide I'm not going down that direction, that signpost one. And then on the opposite side, in the positive direction, David instructs us in one sentence, verse 3, that how we're to respond is we're supposed to trust the Lord with everything. We're supposed to do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness, which is a way of saying, listen, just trust the Lord with your circumstances. Continue to do good even to those who hurt you and injure you. That's the way of Jesus. Um, dwell in the land, which is a way of saying, stick to it and be faithful. That was signpost two positive direction. Let me this morning add another signpost. 
Another way in which we are instructed in this psalm as God's people to deal with a painful world. And that second signpost is verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, most of us have heard that verse before and some of us have memorized that verse. But what we often don't clue into is the context of the verse is the evil, painful world. So in some way, shape, or form, that instruction to delight yourself in the Lord is a way of dealing with an evil world. It's connected somehow. And I want to show you how it connects in a moment. I believe it connects in a moment. But before we do that, let me just make a comment on the second part of the verse, verse 4, which deals with the result. Um, That is, he will give you the desires of your heart. He will, future tense, give you the desires of your heart. The logic is, if you delight yourself in the Lord, then he will give you the desires of your heart. Because that can be misunderstood, let me tell you what that does not mean. That he will give you the desires of your heart. I can see kids just going, wow, so if I delight myself in the Lord, a truckload of toys is coming my way. It does not mean that you're going to have the career you've always dreamed of. It does not mean you're going to have a beautiful wife and healthy kids. It does not mean you're going to get those cordless power tools with the name DeWalt on them. It does not mean that you're going to get a spending spree at Justice. It's my daughter's favorite store. That is not what it means. The second part of the verse, he will give you the desires of your heart, corresponds to the object of desire, which is the first part of the verse. What he's saying is if you delight yourself in me, at some point, there's the future will, I will give you myself in fullness for you to delight in firsthand. Now, I'm going to come back to that future part in a couple weeks because there is this now and yet future that kind of permeates the psalm. There's a time in which evildoers are going to be cut off. Now, they still haven't been cut off because we still have evildoers. So there's this future dynamic, and I believe that's tied into the he will give you in fullness the desires of your heart. That does not mean we can't desire or delight in God in the present tense right now. It just means the fullness of it is still future. So now having said the second part, what it does not mean, he's not going to give you Whatever worldly desire you have, it's really, he's saying, I'll give you all of me, more of me. Um, I will blow you away. Let me come back to that first part now. That's the instruction, delight yourself in the Lord. The word translated delight is only found a few times in the Hebrew scriptures. And one of the places it's found is found in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 2, where it talks about the experience of exquisite delight in fine foods. It is a heart word, an enjoyment word. It's something that we, we get at, not so much by verbal definition as much as by common experience. Uh, when I watch my friend Joe Hendricks, who is one of the guitar players here and also an amazing uh, cook, when he slices off a piece of his fatted calf, which he marinates in his own stuff, and he sticks it in his mouth, and he closes his eyes and goes, mm, that's delight. <laughs> don't need definition. It's just, wow, that's, it's good. I mean, it's just good all the way to tongue to, to your stomach. Um, for me, it's, 
it's uh, sticking a fork into um, a piece of uh, chicken tikka masala and sticking it into my mouth. It's like a taste of heaven, and all of my taste buds just rejoice. I mean, that's, that's, that's delight. It's what you feel when your son hits his grand slam, and there's this euphoric sense of joy that sends you to your feet. It's that joyful tremble that you felt when you first kissed the woman of your, of your dreams. It's, it's, that's, that's what enjoyment is. That's what delight is. And so he's saying, delight yourself in the Lord. Enjoy him. Get that exquisite delight and, and, and wonder of, 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 of him. Now the question is, why? Why does he put this delight yourself in the Lord in the middle of the psalm dealing with evil? What's the logic? Except I believe here's the logic of why it's placed here. That for us to live... For us to survive, for us to, thr- us to thrive and carry on in a world of evil, there must be joy. Where a person has absolutely no joy, there is no will to live, and they will give up life. One has to have a present joy in order to live. I mean, let's put it on a purely humanistic level. That some people, what keeps them going through life are just these transient little tastes of joy that they get, and they go from one to the next. I had a grandmother um, living in Indiana, and uh, she didn't know the Lord, sadly enough. Lived well into her 90s. And I think the only thing that got her up in the morning and through the day were two things. Hot cup of coffee and a box of Intamins. You know those breakfast danishes? That's all she'd eat. She's a... She's a um, a dietary wonder is what she is because for 10 years, that's all she drank and ate, coffee and intimates, coffee and intimates. She lived to be 95 or 96. But that simple little transient joy helped her to live. So if you are and we are to live in a world which is painful, there has to be joy in the Christian life. Now, you can either place the center of your joy in circumstances, which are going to change, in your bank account, which is going to change, in a car that will rust in your driveway, into things that will rot in your refrigerator, or a wife that will divorce you, or may divorce you. She's not going to, but she may. And all of a sudden, when that happens, if that's the center of your joy, then your world is ripped out from under you, and you can't live in this world very faithfully. If, however... The center of one's delight is not in those transient temporal things, but something that is enduring in nature, something that's endless in supply, and something that's overwhelming to experience by comparison to anything else. Well, then you have a reason to rejoice no matter what goes on in your life, and you have a reason to endure. And therein, I think, lies the the logic of why it's here. For you to not fret and get angry and, and get upset and then just kind of get cynical, pessimistic, and, you know, this world's just a pile of poo feeling. There has to be joy in your life. And he's saying that needs to be rooted in the one thing that doesn't change, God himself. Now, let me just translate that a little bit because the, the instruction is delight yourself in the Lord. Let me translate that into for New Covenant, New Testament believers, this side of the cross. I believe it's appropriate for us to retranslate this with Christ at the center. So that our task each day 
if we're to continue on being faithful and doing the right thing in an evil world, is we are to delight ourselves in Jesus Christ. The reason I believe that's true or should be true is that Jesus is the focal point of everything God is doing and all that he is. It's his way of throwing himself out there so that we can actually enjoy him in a very tangible, real, and seeable way. He is the exact representation of the Lord and the radiance of his glory so that he was pleased in Jesus to have all his fullness dwell and pleased in Jesus to place the fullness of his wisdom that in Jesus is the power of sovereignty and the exercise of supreme authority. So when we think of the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, it's delight yourself in the Lord who is Jesus Christ. So that our task is to sink our teeth into, that's using the wolf metaphor wrongly, uh, to open up our, our spiritual mouths and those taste buds and to taste in Jesus the sweet mercy of God. To taste the intoxicating wonder of his love. And to be exhilarated with a sense of confidence and security at the thoughts of his sovereignty and his power and his reign. Or to just stand with a sense of breathless wonder at his Amazing wisdom. A wisdom that defies human conception. The kind of wisdom that turns the entire direction and destiny of a universe through the single death of a man. Uh, someone who, who overturns powers of structure through weakness and someone who brings eternal life out of death. I mean, that's the wisdom of God in Christ. So our task all of us, whether in schoolyard or whether we're at work or at home, in our marriages, at church, if we get bitten, is to delight yourself in all that God is for us in Christ, and then we find ourselves able to live in this world. Now, you might think at this point, well, this is all just a bunch of theological ideals. It doesn't have any tread or traction in life. It doesn't have power. It's not practical. And yet I would be willing to say it's probably the most powerful and practical thing you can do is to delight yourself in Christ each day. It was certainly powerful for David's life. Now here I'm going to flip to a couple different scriptures because it struck me. It struck me that this is David's pattern of life. Whenever he's attacked, whenever he's feeling the weight of the world pressing down upon him, his instinctive First response is to go vertical and delight himself in the Lord. I just want to show you that this is a pattern in his life and therefore why he's instructing us to do it. Because he did it and it worked for him. I was meditating at a different time on Psalm 27, also a psalm of David, and just listen to this. It's about the same thing. It's about evildoers assailing him and eating up his flesh, my adversaries and foes. It is they who stumble and fall, though an entire army encamp against me. This is verse 3 of 27. My heart shall not fear the war rise against me, yet I will be confident. So he's talking about armies encamping against him, wars rising and people consuming his flesh. And immediately, the next verse is like a complete right turn or a vertical turn. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. He's facing horizontal attack and he wants to look up and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his holy temple. That's, it, it, first, when I meditated upon that, I was like, whoa, we'll talk about a major right turn. But that's how and 
what he does in life. Chapter 36, which is right before the one that's on the screen behind me. Again, talking about evildoers. Verse 4, he plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. And then he goes vertical. All of a sudden, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. And then that's exactly what he's doing here and instructing us to do. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. And then he's saying, delight yourself in the Lord. Because that was the pattern of his life. And it's exactly what you must do each day if you're to live faithfully. It has a very powerful and practical function in everyday life. Simply to savor the mercy and the love and the power and the sovereignty and wisdom of God in Christ Jesus. It makes a difference in your life. Sometimes the best thing you can do when facing a problem isn't directly attack the problem. It's to get close to the Lord. So I can't do this without you, so I'm going up before I go forward. And that's precisely what's being taught here. In order to deal with the horizontal, you have to go vertical. If you're going to deal with the depravity of man, you have to deal with delighting in the Lord first. And you'll find, you'll find the passion and you'll find the motive to walk faithfully in that direction, the right direction of trusting the Lord. Now, it reminds me, this whole idea, this will give, give you an image. Sometimes images last longer than words. Uh, most of you know I grew up about 70 miles east of here up in the foothills of the Sierras. And our home that my parents still live in is at about six to 700 feet elevation, just right below Auburn. And um, one of the things that happens every winter is that valley fog comes in, and it stays there. And it is a depressing reality. My family calls it the creeping crud. You know, it's the fog of futility, and the fog of doom and despair. You know, everything's damp, everything is cold, and you can't see the sun. It's a bit of a side note, but I think I'd need therapy if I had to live in Seattle, where it only, you know, sun, sunshine only shines like 58 days out of the year. Well, this fog comes in, and, and my, the whole family just kind of... And what's cool about where we live is just about 300 feet up, five minutes away, and we get in the car and we drive up to Auburn, and all of a sudden, the fog is gone, we've ascended through it, and we find ourselves in the sunlight. And it's like coming up for a breath of fresh air after holding your breath underwater for a long time. You know, we choose to go shopping there instead of Roseville because you get up out of the clouds. You know, and you kind of, hey, there are mountains over there. There's snow, and you feel the warmth of it, and you just kind of soak it in, and then you go back down into the fog of futility, and you live out your life. That is an image or a picture of exactly what the Christian is to do each day, whether it's moment by moment through the day, or at the beginning of the day in a longer period of time, or at the end of the day or trying just simply to maintain a state of mind of coming up into the divine sunlight and once again having your soul filled with the sense of all that God is for you in Jesus Christ. Not just in a way that you know, but in a way that you feel, you delight in. It's a heart word, remember? That's what he wants to get you to, that you love it, savor it, and you taste it. Then when you go back into the fog of this painful world, you're like, oh, I've been up into the sun, I can handle this another day. That is 
exactly what is instructed here. It's part of Sunday morning worship is to come and to kind of as a body of people to ascend and and see the sunlight of all that God is for us in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross so that then we can go into the world um, tomorrow and the next day and say, I can do this because I have seen the Lord and I've delighted in him. But I'll tell you, if you only do it once a week, it's not enough. It has to be the pattern of your life, the pattern of your days. is to delight yourself in the Lord and you will find the passion and the strength to live faithfully in a world or live in a church where you're hurt because the joy is not centered in the people around you. It's centered in the Lord who will never let you go and never change. Now you might ask, so how, Dan? How do I delight myself in the Lord? I, I, I got it. How do I? I don't want to leave you without at least a, a, some kind of a plan. The way to delight yourself in the Lord is not new. It's as old as the Bible and simple as well. Not easy, but simple. If it helps you, you can think of three S's, you know, letter S. may sound corny, but you never realize just how easy sometimes three S's can be in sinking it into your mind. If you want to delight yourself in the Lord each day, then one of the things you must do is supplicate, which is just an old word for pray. Because you know what? We, in our own strength, cannot ascend out of the clouds of the pain of this world. Flap your wings all you want. You're not going to get there. The only way to go vertical, the only way to, to see the fog and the clouds go below you is when you were picked up by the power and the wind of God's Spirit. The Spirit of the living God is the only one who can take you there each day. It's His grace. Which is why we must ask for it. And we pray for it. And we supplicate for it. So we find ourselves in a place where, oh, it's just not doing good. You're frustrated, discouraged. Maybe you feel like you want to get angry. And you begin to pray and supplicate to the Lord. Lord, I, I feel the sinfulness of this world seeping into the pores of my soul. Will you lift me up? Will you lead me to a rock that is higher than I? Psalm 61. Will you... Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. Will you give me to drink from the river of your delight? So you pray, and the Spirit of God is the one then who lifts you into that place. Supplication is an expression of our faith that God really does do that. Without that, you're not going to experience true delight in the Lord unless you're on your knees supplicating to the Lord each day. Second S is... is uh, this might sound corny, but soaking, soaking in truth. I'd use the old word meditate, but that seems to scare people away, or it makes them think of Eastern mysticism, people with their legs crossed and their fingers in this position and droning on and on and on, which is not Christian meditation. But the whole point, really, of meditation is, is to take the truth of God in his scripture, this right here, or God's truth revealed in creation, and to let it soak beneath the surface of your mind into your heart so that you delight and feel, experience. That's what you want to do. Soak it in. Soak in the truth of God. And many of us have habits which leave the truth up here 
but don't realize we need to allow it to soak into here. And that's what the Lord wants to do. And that is how we delight ourselves in the Lord. And that's, that, that works for me. It obviously worked for David as well. Let the med- meditations of my heart and be pleasing in your sight. And he meditates upon the truth of God's word day and night. And therein he finds the pleasure of God's presence. This last week I found myself a little depressed when I opened the paper and realized that the uh, unemployment rate was up at where it was. And hearing from some of you about you know, pay cuts and, and bankruptcies and so forth. And it's just, there's just this like fog layer that comes in. And then you start doubting the people in Washington whether they really know what they're doing. And then, uh, and then a verse like... I don't know the exact verse, but it's found in Psalm 33, comes to mind, in which the Lord says, he says of the Lord, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. But the counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plans of his heart to all generations. In those moments to take those, that's an example of truth into the mind and supplicating, Lord, take this truth and let it soak into my soul that I may delight in the fact that you're in control. And you know what? Whoever people are in Washington, he is going to at times frustrate their plans. But you can count on always his counsel stands firm forever. And the plans of his heart will be carried out to all generations. That brings me pleasure in the sovereignty of God. And in that moment this week, just flying up above the fog, and then you're ready, okay, I can deal with this again. So you supplicate, you soak in the truth. If you're not having God's truth taken in each day, it's very difficult to continue a life of delighting in the Lord. The last S is this, is just space. Uh, Not space as in outer space, but space as in room for for him in your life. I'm talking about time. Now, Tozer said it well, unless you give time to the Lord, you will never know him. And you want to learn to play golf, you go spend time on the golf course. You want to delight yourself in the Lord, you have to make room in your life for him. You have to take the approach of delighting in the Lord and soaking in his word that you would take washing a really dirty, grimy pot or pan, you know, with meat burnt onto it or an old casserole and it's like you know instead of thinking because you know this doesn't work instead of taking that pot covered with grease and burnt stuff throwing a couple splashes of water and thinking after two seconds oh now it's ready to scrub it doesn't work that way you know it doesn't work that way it's a waste of time to do it that way but that's how many people's private worship is i give five minutes to the lord doesn't soak in a bit it's like throwing three drops of soapy water for two seconds on a greasy greasy pan and like it or not our lives each day get covered by grit and grime and depressing things and how is it that the truth of God can break through all of that unless there's time allowed for the truth of scripture to soak into your soul so the next time you pick up your Bible and you go into another room or you gather with other believers because this is a communal thing as well Just remember an unwashed pot and think to yourself, if the truth is going to soak into my soul, I need room and space in my life for the Spirit to do His work. 
And by the grace of the Lord, if you're a person who commits himself or herself to supplicating to the Lord and saying, will you lift me up? Lead me to a rock that is higher than I. If you will allow God's truth and scripture and creation to soak into your soul each day, and if you provide space for that to happen, then I think you'll find your life delighting in the Lord and you'll be able to do what David says here. And that is you'll be able to trust in the Lord. You'll be able to do good and you'll dwell in the land and you will be faithful because your delight is in the Lord. Do I hear a little amen on that one? Therein, you have been given the task, um, the spiritual task of delighting yourself in the Lord as a means to living a holy life. And so... We thought, actually, it'd be perfect um, to practice that with the Lord's Supper. You can just walk up here, take your bread and cup, and go back and, and uh, not allow it to soak in. Or you can spend some moments thinking about what Jesus did for you, supplicating to the Lord, saying, Lord, will you bring this to the reality of my inner soul? That Jesus died for my sin, I am forgiven, I'm a child of God, I have a future, I have a hope, and you will never leave me or forsake me. And to let the truth of what these symbols soak in to your life. The bread and the cup, symbols of his death for his people, and symbols of God's steadfast, wonderful, amazing, intoxicating love. So as you come this morning, as, as the worship team plays, you let it soak in. Um, take your bread. You take it back to the seat. You can kneel with your family if you want up here and just soak in the truth of what Christ has done for you. Um, we're going to have two pastors at these two tables, and they are going to break the bread off for you and hand it to you. And, and all I say is delight yourself in Christ this morning. Let me pray. Father, we are so...